Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. We'll be preaching this morning through verses 11 through 21. John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 21. And as you turn there, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessing on the reading and preaching of His Holy Word. Most gracious Heavenly Father, You have revealed to us that the grass withers and the flower fades but Your Word will stand forever. You've told us that Your Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We know that every word in Your Scripture has been inspired by Your Holy Spirit given to us for our benefit and blessing that we might grow in godliness and grace. We ask that You speak to us now through Your Word as it is read and preached. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 10, verses 11 through 21. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? May God bless the reading of His holy word. And let us sure say amen. There's nothing more exciting than buying new tires for your cars. A couple of weeks ago, I needed to buy new tires for my car. I went on to an online website and I plugged in my tire size and the website gave me three quotes. Maybe you've had this experience too. I received a quote for a good tire. I received a quote for a better tire. And I received a quote for the best tire. Now, I didn't want to seem like a cheapskate here. But I also didn't want to spend an arm and a leg for tires on a very old car. So I figured I would go with the better option. It's called, it's it's actually something called tiered marketing. You'll see it used uh, in different products that are sold. And there's some psychology behind it. And They know that you and I don't always want to be thought of as going with the cheapest option. 
but we're probably not going to spend the money on the most expensive option, and so we'll go somewhere in between. Here in John chapter 10, Jesus has called Himself the Good Shepherd. And it's not because of tiered marketing. Jesus is not saying that there is a better shepherd and the best shepherd. That's not what Jesus is saying here. The word in Greek could actually be translated as beautiful shepherd that's used here. Jesus in this way is identifying Himself as the noble shepherd. It's probably a better understanding of what Jesus is communicating here in John 10. And I think that when we examine the theology of this passage, not only do we see Jesus as the noble shepherd, He is also the shepherd. To steal a line from Travis's sermon Sunday night, right? There's, there's a difference between University of Florida and the Florida State University. Jesus here is saying that He is the shepherd. He is the good shepherd that all the other shepherds pointed to. Moses was a good shepherd. Joshua was a good shepherd. King David was a good shepherd over God's people. But they were imperfect and their work was incomplete. And Jesus comes and He is the perfect shepherd. He is the shepherd who completes and fulfills the work of all the other shepherds. He's the fulfillment. He truly is the Good Shepherd. I want you to see that in this passage this morning. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. He's the Good Shepherd. He is the Shepherd that all the other shepherds were pointing to. He fulfills their work. I think it's important that we ask ourselves this question, why is Jesus qualified to be the Good Shepherd? I want to answer that question for us this morning. There are three answers to that we'll see in this passage. First, we will see Jesus is qualified to be the Good Shepherd first because the Good Shepherd dies for the sheep. Secondly, we will see that the Good Shepherd gathers the sheep. And lastly, we will see that the Good Shepherd is the surety for the sheep. Surety. Kind of like a bond. Kind of like a cosigner. He is the surety for the sheep. So first, let's look at this together. Why is Jesus qualified to be the Good Shepherd? Well, He is qualified to be the Good Shepherd because the Good Shepherd dies for the sheep. Jesus has said that more than once in this passage, hasn't He? I mean, he introduces Himself and identifies Himself as the Good Shepherd. And then immediately after that, in verse 11, He says the Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. Jesus has been contrasting Himself with the Pharisees. You remember John chapter 9? We've studied that. Jesus had healed a man born blind and the Pharisees interrogate this man and they reject the miracle and they excommunicate this man out of the synagogue. And it is in this context, in fact, we see, uh, we see that here at the end of this passage. It's referenced Jesus opening the eyes of the blind. That's a reference to what's happened here. So Jesus is contrasting Himself. These Pharisees were thieves and robbers. 
who had come to steal, kill, and destroy the sheep. They were strangers to the sheep. Their voices were strange to the sheep. But Jesus is the true shepherd. He's revealed Himself already in John 10. He is the door for the sheep through whom the sheep enter and go out and find the covenant blessings of God. And so here Jesus identifies Himself as the Good Shepherd, and I think it stands to reason that He would immediately contrast Himself in verse 12 with these Pharisees by saying, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. Jesus is contrasting Himself. He is saying that those other Pharisees, those other ones who claim to be shepherds, aren't really shepherds. He's identified them as strangers, as thieves and robbers who come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's identified them as having a voice that is strange to the sheep, and now He identifies them as hirelings. They don't have any rightful claim over the sheep. In fact, they're cowardly, aren't they? When danger approaches, when the wolf approaches to bring harm to the sheep, they think of their own skin first. They say, well, why would I sacrifice my life in defense of these sheep? And they turn tail and run. And the wolf comes and he steals the sheep and and brings harm to the sheep and scatters the sheep. And Jesus identifies their motive for this. They have no rightful claim over the sheep. They're cowardly in the face of duty. And in verse 13, Jesus says the reason these hirelings do this is because, look at that there at the end of verse 13. Do you see that there in your Bible? This hireling cares nothing for the sheep. They don't really have a true affection and love and care for the sheep. Jesus, by contrast, is the Good Shepherd. He is the Good Shepherd who in the face of danger does not become cowardly. He is the one who in the face of danger does not depart from the sheep who need His help. No, He is the one who lays down His life defending the sheep. This past week, we met one of our new neighbors in our neighborhood. Her name is Daisy the Basset Hound. You know, Basset Hound, short, little arms, big, cute, floppy ears, giant nose, second to none. We saw Daisy the Basset Hound in the neighborhood roaming down the street, yard to yard, house to house. She came right up to our house with her nose to the ground, ignoring our calls, and went right into my house following her nose. Daisy's owners posted on our neighborhood's Facebook page an apology to all the neighbors for Daisy's bad behavior that they're new to the neighborhood, their children had left the door open, and Daisy has been getting out and following her nose into trouble. Leaving home, leaving the safety of home, and following her nose wherever it goes. You and I are kind of like Daisy the Basset Hound. We have a nose that sniffs out sin. 
The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 26, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. You and I have a nose that sniffs out sin and follows after sin and goes astray. Isaiah chapter 53, it says, all we like sheep have done what? We have gone astray. Everyone we have turned to his own way. We follow our nose. Uh, we sniff out sin and we, we follow our nose right into that sin and we place ourselves into harm's way. We place ourselves in danger. And here's what Jesus is saying in John chapter 10. is He's saying that when my sheep put themselves in a place of danger, I don't run away from them. I love them so much that when they are in danger, I will lay down my life to rescue them. Think about the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 15, Jesus told the parable to the scribes and Pharisees who were angry with Him for having a meal with the sinners and the tax collectors. And Jesus told the parable about the shepherd with a hundred sheep. You know the parable, don't you? There was a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. He was counting them and realized he only had 99. One of the sheep had done what? Had gone astray. And so this good shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes and searches out and finds the one and brings that one sheep back. That one sheep who got lost, who had gone astray, who had followed his nose like Daisy the Basset Hound right into sin. The good shepherd goes and finds that sheep and rescues that sheep even in the face of personal peril and danger. Have you ever been that sheep who's gone astray? Have you ever been like Daisy the Basset Hound and follow your nose right away from home and into the house of sin? And maybe you thought, well look, I have done this so many times, there's, there's no reason why the shepherd would ever want to come and find a sheep like me. I've offended the shepherd too many times. I've gone away from the shepherd too many times. There's no reason the shepherd should come and find me. And I just want to remind you, beloved, of Luke chapter 15, that not only is Jesus the good shepherd who goes and finds his sheep, He's the good shepherd who rejoices when He finds that one sheep. Isn't that what Jesus said in Luke chapter 15? That when the shepherd found the one lost sheep, that He rejoiced. And then Jesus says, so too in heaven when one sinner is found and is brought home and repents of his sins. Isn't that why Jesus died for us? Because we were in danger of our sin. And He came and found us and rescued us. I want to remind you this morning that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. He is absolutely qualified to be the Good Shepherd because as our Good Shepherd, He dies for the sheep. And if He's found you this morning, you need to know that He's died for you and He loves you enough that He will come find you when you go astray. Why is Jesus qualified to be the Good Shepherd? He's qualified to be the Good Shepherd because first, He dies for the sheep. And secondly, I want you to see here the Good Shepherd gathers the sheep. He gathers the sheep. 
You see this here in verse 14. Jesus emphasizes again that He's the Good Shepherd. I am the Good Shepherd. I know my own and my own know Me. We've talked about this in the last sermon. They know His voice. The sheep know His voice. He, he calls to them and the sheep come to Him. He knows who they are. Jesus says He calls them by what? He calls them by name. Jesus here says, I know my sheep and my sheep know Me. And this knowledge of the sheep is so intimate, Jesus compares it even, look at that there in verse 15, to the fellowship that Jesus has with the Father. That just as the Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father, that is the intimacy with which Jesus knows His sheep. Incredible statement Jesus is making here. And then again, for emphasis, I lay down my life for the sheep. Let's put this in context here. Jesus, again, I'll remind you, He's in Jerusalem. He is speaking, most likely, to a crowd of Jews gathered for festival. And He's healed this blind man, this blind beggar man. And they've inter- the Pharisees have interrogated this man. And Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees. And here Jesus begins to use a common Old Testament analogy only used of Israel only use of Israel throughout the Old Testament. Think about this. Especially in the Psalms. Psalm 68. The work of the Lord is described as a shepherd for the sheepfold. Psalm 68. Reign in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Israel's referred to here as God's inheritance. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God. You provided for the needy. Psalm 78, verse 52. Then He led out His people like a sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. This is a common designation of Israel in the Old Testament. They were God's sheep and He was their shepherd. They were His flock. And when He brought them out of Slavery in Egypt, it was like a shepherd leading his flock of sheep through the wilderness. As we read on about the prophets, in the prophets, the prophets condemn the leaders in Israel and calls them what? Bad shepherds. They didn't care for the sheep. They didn't attend to the sheep. They didn't bind up the wounds of the sheep. They didn't lead them to safe pasture. In fact, no. They used and abused the sheep to get what they could gain from the sheep. The fat ones, they killed and ate and they wore their wool. And the sick and decrepit, they didn't care anything for. They didn't bind up their wounds. And so, in Ezekiel 34, Israel has has gone into exile. They have gone into Babylon in exile and the prophet Ezekiel declares in Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord to Israel is this, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. Israel's in exile and God says, I'm the shepherd and I'm going to go seek out my sheep and I am going to gather them. Prophet Describing that great work of the exiles returning back. Returning back to the promised land. And then God makes this promise in Ezekiel 34 
I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So God is the shepherd over Israel who's in exile. And like the shepherd, He's going to call the exiles back to the pasture land in the promised land. He knows them. He's going to call them. And then He's going to give them a ruler, His servant David, who will be one shepherd over them. And then, the prophet says the most extraordinary thing in Ezekiel 34-23. He says, there will be one flock, one shepherd. It's in this background of Ezekiel 34 that we look at John chapter 10 and Jesus says the most remarkable thing in verse 16 in this passage. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you're the lousy shepherds that the prophets condemned, and I'm the good shepherd who's going to call Israel to Myself that I may lead them. And then Jesus in verse 16 says, guess what? I have other sheep too. There are Gentiles who are My sheep. And I'm going to call them. Look at verse 16. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. And then Jesus quotes Ezekiel 34. Don't miss this. He quotes Ezekiel 34. There will be one flock, one shepherd. I want you to think about all the corporate metaphors for the church. In the New Testament, the church is described as a house of the Lord. It's described as the body of Christ with different members like you and I have hands and feet. So too the church, we're one body. But those aren't only the corporate analogies used in the New Testament for the church. In fact, the New Testament writers took the corporate analogies that were once only true of Israel and applied them to the Gentile church. Think about the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1. He calls those to whom he writes, elect exiles of the dispersion. Who were the exiles? The exiles were Jews who came back from Babylon to the Promised Land. And the Apostle Peter calls them the Gentile churches in Asia Minor, elect exiles. Well, maybe that was just a one-off. Maybe that was accidental. Maybe the Apostle Peter didn't really mean that. No, he goes on in the very next chapter. He calls these churches a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own possession. What was once only true of Israel under the Old Covenant is now true of the Gentile church in the New Covenant. Using these corporate analogies, the Apostle Peter tells the elders of these churches to shepherd the what? Shepherd the flock. Well, maybe this is just isolated to the writing of Peter. No, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, he says that the Gentiles are adopted and like Isaac are sons of promise. Ephesians 2, 12. 
Apart from Christ, the Gentiles were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenant, but through Christ have been brought near by His blood. So the Gentiles get grafted in to the commonwealth of Israel. They become Israel. Is what the Apostle Paul is saying. In Revelation chapter 7, the Apostle John He sees a vision of those who are sealed to endure the great tribulation. And in this vision, he hears the number of those who are sealed for this day. 144,000. 12,000 from what? You know it. Each tribe of Israel. So John hears their number. 144,000 from each tribe in Israel. And then, what does he see? He sees a multitude greater than anyone can number from every tribe, nation, and tongue. What are you saying here, Pastor? I'm saying that there is one shepherd and one flock, and that one shepherd and one flock is the true Israel. It's you and I, brothers and sisters. It's you and I who are in the church, who have been called by Christ and made fellow heirs, who have been made sons of the promise through the work of our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made us one flock. So important is this covenantal language. John Calvin, when you read the Institutes, you know how he refers to the Israelites in the Old Testament? He calls them the Old Testament church. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one flock, one shepherd. And Jesus is saying that if you don't hear His voice and come to Him, you are what? Outside of the flock and not one of His sheep. Even though you might ethnically be Jewish in Jesus' time, if you don't respond to His call, you're no longer part of the sheepfold. Now, I know what some of you who are thinking or might think. You might think, there goes another Reformed Presbyterian with all his covenant theology preaching all that replacement theology. It's not replacement theology. It's fulfillment theology. Isn't this the very promise that was made to Abraham that... God would give him a son and through that son all the nations of the earth would be blessed? Isn't this the fulfillment of the promise that God gave in the covenant to Israel that they would be a light to the nations? Isn't it interesting in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council that James, he says that just as Israel were called to be a people, so to the Gentiles the Lord has taken to be a people for His name. This is so important. This theology is so important to us because this is how Gentile sinners like you and me get in on God's promises. This is how we know that we have a good shepherd who's qualified to be the good shepherd who fulfills all the other archetypes of shepherds. Jesus is the true antitype. He is the true One who has come to fulfill all God's promises and through Him all the nations of the earth are blessed. And if you're in Christ, 
You're part of God's covenant people. And you are the true Israel. And all of God's promises are for you, dear Christian. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. He's qualified to do this because He dies for the sheep. He has rightful claim to do that. And second, because He gathers the sheep. And lastly, I want you to see here, because He is the surety for the sheep. The surety. Jesus here in verse 17, He says that it is for this reason the Father loves Me because I lay down My life that I may take it up again. Jesus isn't saying that He has earned the Father's love by giving His life in death. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying, and as D.A. Carson, commentator, pointed out, is that the love between the Father and the Son is logically prior to God's love that saves us. It's the fellowship between God the Father and God the Son. It's the Son's willingness to give of Himself and His life. And in theology, we call this the covenant of redemption. That at some point in eternity past, that the Father elected, that He made a covenant to elect the people and to give them to the Son, and the Son made a covenant that He would accomplish their redemption, and the Holy Spirit made a covenant that He would apply that redemption. Jesus here, I think, is referring to that covenant. And He is saying that this, it's for this reason that He came. This is the reason that He came. Because of the love that He has with the Father, He submits Himself to the Father's plan of redemption. Can I talk about a theological debate for a minute here? The eternal subordination of the Son debate is happening. I know all of you are just reading the Evangelical Theological Society Journal and reading up on Wayne Grudem and all this issue about eternal subordination of the Son. You know an easy way to solve this issue about eternal subordination of the Son? If you have a theology of the covenant of redemption. If you have a theology of the covenant of redemption, you can look at this passage and see where Jesus submits Himself to the Father's will and understand His submission is to the plan of redemption in the covenant. This He did freely and of His own accord, Jesus says. Notice that there in verse 17. I lay down My life. He has the rightful place. To do this, He freely offered Himself to lay down His life. And because of that, He has authority to take it up again as God. No one takes it from Me, He says, but I lay it down of My own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from My Father. And this is how Jesus is our surety. You say, what do you mean? You keep using that word. Surety. In the covenant of redemption, Jesus agreed to be responsible for dirty, rotten sinners like you and me. He made a pledge in eternity past that He would give Himself 
into the Father's plan, submitting to the Father's plan that He would give His life to pay for the sins of the flock. That He would give of His life to satisfy divine justice. Being the surety for us is less like co-signing for a loan and more like agreeing to make all the payment in advance. Being the surety is less like a bail bondsman who says, I'll guarantee that Joe will show up on his day in court and if not, I'll go and get him and bring him back and if not, I'll pay his bond. That is not what Jesus being our surety is like. It is more like that bail bondsman who is innocent of the crime appearing in place of the criminal and being found guilty of a crime he did not commit and paying the full penalty. He did not deserve. You see, dear Christian, Jesus is our good shepherd, and as our good shepherd, he is our surety. He's the one who guarantees that our salvation will be accomplished and applied. And the Jews here, you see in verse 19, they are baffled by this. There's division among the Jews because of these words. You see that there in verse 19? The word division could also be translated as schism. They don't know what to do with this. They're left with a couple of options. And as C.S. Lewis summarizes, they have one of three options. And you and I have the same. Jesus is either a liar. The Pharisees have said that in John 9. Jesus is either a lunatic, some of the Jews are saying that there in verse 20, or He's Lord. He really is who He says He is. He really is our surety for sin. He really is our Good Shepherd. And He really did lay down His life so that you and I can be saved by Him. So you might be asking yourself, what must I do so that the Good Shepherd can be my Good Shepherd? It's a good question to ask. Coming to Jesus isn't like shopping for tires. You don't get to choose Him as a better or best option. You have to cling to that Good Shepherd alone. You have to turn from your sin. You have to confess Him as the way, the truth, and the life. You have to forsake all others. You have to see Him as, as the treasure hidden in the field for which you would sell everything that you own that you might gain the great pearl of price. If you do that, by His grace, Jesus won't just be the Good Shepherd. He'll be your Shepherd. And then you'll know the joy and the care and the love and the promises of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have given for us Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He gave of Himself. In fact, He became a sheep to save us lost and sinful sheep. Pray that You would remind us that we have such a great Good Shepherd. 
and that we might look to Him and cling to Him alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.